Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Guilty Feminists. I'm Matilda Mallinson, co-host of MediaStorm, which is kind of like the Guilty Feminists' little sister. MediaStorm is me and my fellow journalist and partner in crime, Helena Wadia, retelling the news with different voices. So for this Guilty Feminist special, I'm going to look at why. Why it's important to hear our stories in our own voices. Why it's important to find lesser-known stories. And why it's important to challenge dominant ones. This is storytelling and identity. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So I asked you to send in stories about your grandparents. My grandma took down her local gang. They turned up to her house and told her there was a problem with the cash coming out of the cash points in the area and MI5 needed to inspect the cash. My great-grandpa, Joseph Romeo, came from Campobello, Sicily, to New York in the 1920s. He was a welder and a very good welder. He's a bit of an activist. He was, always camp- Remember, he was always campaigning for independence, independence from Britain. And he was always keen on, on sort of bringing the Caribbean together as a unity. My granny worked for Sunbeam Electric. She managed to negotiate one of the very first equal pay agreements in the UK for her factory without strikes. The senior management, I think, slightly feared her. They'd asked her for £10,000, but she could only take out £5,000. When they came the next day, she said, I will get out the second half for you. And then overnight, she called the police. And when the local gang turned up, I think there were about 50 police cars around the other side of her house, descended on the gang. Uh, down the line, uh, he, he was uh, working on the stills for the Bruno family. Police officer was arresting him. A limousine pulled up and the window rolled down. Guy from the limousine told the officer, when you get to the end of the block, you go one way, Joseph Romeo there goes the other way. And sure enough, when they got to the end of the block, the police officer said, I'm going that way. 
you go this way. <laughs> Turns out they've done this to over a hundred elderly people in the area. Anyway, my grandma then received a certificate of bravery. She was a force to be reckoned with. She was something else. This pandemic has been marked by loss. And for me, a month before lockdown, the loss of my grandmother, the one thing that loss can't take from you is memories. Great grandpas befriending gangsters, good old grandmas bringing them down. These are the stories we lose if we don't ask. Stories have been essential to humanity's success. They've enabled us to exist in massive groups with total strangers by creating shared identities, loyalties, and moral codes. They tell us who we are, why we belong. But historically, not everyone's story gets told. Growing up, there wasn't even talk about being gay or bisexual. It was very under the table. There was no openly gay people in my high school. I don't even remember one gay couple. And so I thought back then when I was growing up that it wasn't allowed or that it wasn't uh, acceptable. Growing up LGBTQ, Roger Moreau couldn't see himself represented in the world around him. I kind of faced identity issues and struggles Unfortunately, it was a bit of a struggle as a, as a young boy. I was bullied at school. I had a lot of low self-esteem in a way. My dad's side was full of, let's say, truckers and very kind of like rough around the edges. And I was the sweet, shy, sensitive boy. I didn't think that I could come out with my parents and my family around me. It was because he couldn't find stories like his that Roger decided to write his own. Roger may be onto something. A recent survey asked 2,000 LGBTQ people about their most important mental health aids. A third put journaling at the top of their list. My first manuscript is almost a thousand pages for myself and for the boy that I was growing up when with all of the negativity is healing to look back on my, my life and see that I was good enough. I hope that maybe I can reach out to somebody in some way if they feel maybe uncertain as to who they are. So about your trucker dad, how has he responded to your story? Dad did ask me one time and he said, what would happen if we went to the gay bar together? Would I get hit on by a guy? I'd go, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because he, he likes a lot of attention. Roger wrote his memoir with Story Terrace, an organization that helps ordinary people put their stories to paper. Our goal is to make sure that everyone gets to write their life story because there's a lot of evidence that the more you know about your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, the better your mental health is. This is Rutger Bruining, Story Terrace's founder. He says by harvesting stories from people who would never normally write them, that's where you find the true gems. One really, really unique example you know, from the LGBTQ community is about Paul Paytag, who was persecuted by the Nazis in Germany. He was gay. And the day he was going to flee the country, he won the lottery. He gave his lottery ticket to his boyfriend, who was of, uh, of German-Aryan descent. And Paul, he fled to Japan, where they were looking for engineers. His boyfriend collected the money and used the money to send more, more Jews, especially family from Paul, abroad.
Perhaps the greatest story of all the stories is the story of history. History is simply a muddle of conflicting stories from which historians cut and compile tidy narratives to make sense of the world. It's a fascinating fiction, but it often hides more than it reveals. Far deeper is the archive of forgotten pasts, lost with those who were censored, silenced, or simply never asked. Hi, my name's Jocelyn Chandler-Hawkins and my goal is to try and uplift uh, the stories of underrepresented groups, starting with the Caribbean community of which I'm part of. Jocelyn worked with the Reading Museum to collect oral histories from locals, locals who came to Britain from the Caribbean in the decades following World War II. They are known as the Windrush Generation. For a long time, I felt that there wasn't enough of um, these stories reflected in my local community. You know, people who came from the Caribbean, along with other countries, really helped to keep the local economies going because, like a lot of places across the UK, they ended up working in factory settings, the post office, the bus service, the train service, and they often stayed in those jobs right through to retirement. The footprint of those people who came and put in all that hard work. It's not always seen or remembered. Jocelyn, when you listened to all these testimonies, were there messages that kept coming up? Any takeaways you can share with us? I think what's really really important to reflect on, the UK government actually asked Caribbeans to come to the UK to fill the jobs that they couldn't get filled, so bus drivers, train drivers, and often the jobs that didn't always pay as well as other jobs, even if you were skilled to do other things. And again, some of them were treated really badly. The stories are available on the museum's website and I strongly encourage you to listen. There's someone called Nordia who came here as a very young girl and she worked as a nurse and as a maternity nurse. So when I was 18, the matron started calling some of the girls to come for their interview to go for their training. And she didn't call me, so... This is Nordia speaking now. So I said, well, when am I going to start my training? And she said, oh, well, I thought you could be like an auxiliary nurse, which is like a healthcare assistant. And I said, well... That's not what I want to do. And she said, well, you know, that's what's on offer. She only retired, actually, during the COVID lockdown. Her contribution, along with all the other Black Caribbean, African nurses who came and really gave, depending on um, your lived experiences, you may not really know about this. So it's a chance for whole generations to reconnect with histories they may not know and other communities and other cultures to also learn a little bit about the Caribbean lived experience. But the testimonies are not all about hardship. Many of them are joyful. Why is that important? I don't think that certainly from my lived experience as being someone who's Black, British and Caribbean, that our stories are necessarily referenced or asked about. And if it happens, it's in times of trouble. And actually so much of Black culture and Black Caribbean culture is celebrated. You see Notting Hill Carnival, you see the different world food shops, things like mangoes and edders and coconut and okras. Those things are now in the supermarket, but that only happened because these communities wanted to get the things from home. So tell us, what can we do to create a more inclusive historical identity? In terms of history curriculums, make it more diverse, make it more inclusive, and not only talk about the good bits that have happened, but talk about the challenging bits. The guy who led the bus boycotts in Bristol and recently passed away, his work in civil rights in the Bristol area to stop the bus companies only employing white British people is a landmark and it really paved the way. We don't only need to look to the work in other countries, so Dr Martin Luther King, we should always look to his work 
work and all the other great civil rights leaders in America like Medgar Evers and Steve Biko in South Africa. But we can also look closer to home and make those part of our histories that are taught in schools. This feeling of division that we're experiencing at the moment, we need to do everything we can to keep people together. So sharing these stories, putting it into the curriculum, spotlighting it in articles, in TV programmes, can be done. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just as stories help us form our individual identities, history underpins our national one. John Kampfner, I'm a long-standing author and journalist. I was um, in East Germany when it existed, and I was in the Soviet Union when it existed. And my last book is called Why the Germans Do It Better. I first read Kampfner when studying history, and I've been struck by this idea that Germany is unusual in its historical identity because it doesn't shy away from its uglier past. And Kampfner sees this as a strength in many ways, making Germany more aware of its vulnerabilities, more precise with its policies, more guarded of its vices. Everything in Germany is geared towards the commemoration of the past, and particularly the Second World War. In big German cities, Berlin, Hamburg, Munich, whatever, pretty much on every street corner, there is some memorial to victims of the Nazis and the Second World War. They deal with things in a way that never takes anything for granted because their grandparents lived through it, and many of them were also perpetrators. And they love their incredibly long compound nouns, but one of them is called, and uh, listeners be prepared, it's called Vergangenheitsbewältigung. And that basically means coming to terms with your past. Can you just elaborate on how that actually manifests in day-to-day behaviours or day-to-day policies? They always think that fascism is around the corner. They've got this hurdle that you've got to get 5% of, of the popular vote in order to get into parliament. They look next door at their closest partners, France, and in the recent French presidential elections, more than 60% of people who voted, voted for parties either of the far right or the far left. They look at Britain and they just think it's a joke. They look at the United States and they absolutely freaked out over Donald Trump. The country Donald Trump pretty much had the worst relations with was Germany. So Germany's raw memory of fascism making them vigilant against it, as opposed to the UK and US, which kind of have this historical identity as being the pioneers against fascism and and maybe take that for granted. And now, as you've pointed out, we have seen a US president try to ransack constitutional democracy. And in the UK, we've seen quite a few policies causing democratic alarm. The Policing Act restricting protest rights, the Official Secrets Act, the Nationality and Borders Bill, I could sadly go on. But honestly, are we not seeing a little bit of a swing to the right in Germany as well? Or do you really think its historical memory will 
protect it? Well, there isn't a swing to right at the moment. I mean, the peak of that was, as I say, around from between about 2015 to about 2020. It is a pretty uh, fragile situation. But as I say, at least they're at least they're on it. At least they are constantly worrying about it. There's nothing cavalier about Germany. There's nothing sort of make it up as you go along, which personifies Britain. Let me, I mean, look, one German friend, she said to me, oh, by the way, I've given up my Netflix subscription. And I said, why is that? She said, I get all the entertainment I need watching the British Parliament. <laughs> so that sort of sense of, of our politics as theatre. At least she doesn't have to live with it. Well, exactly. Well, and, but their politics is extraordinarily dull. So then how does all this commemoration compare to the way, for example, that the UK remembers its history and in particular its uglier history? Britain, almost as a flip side to Germany, is also stuck in the Second World War. It's almost like, you know, it's the, the old phrase that our finest hour has remained our finest hour. Patriotism is like the ointment you put on a saw. Only by dispassionately, calmly assessing what's good, what's bad, what we did well in history and what we did badly in history and all the shades in between. Britain, I think, struggles. But it's only then when you realise these are the things we can do. I mean, you look at the government's current language about Britain. It's global Britain. We will have Everything is world-beating. That will be world-beating. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has revealed a world-beating tracing this country will be the greatest place on earth. There is, so, there is such an element of self-delusion. I mean, look, look for example, at this so-called levelling up agenda. This has been an absolute running sore in Britain for many, many decades. I mean, Germany, when it reunified in 1990, it had to absorb 18 million people who had a completely different economic system, completely different political mindset, had no democracy, had no advanced economy. And those parts of Germany, the East, their living standards are closer to the West than the case in Britain, where the living standards in the North are still far, far worse. Superimposed on that is a sort of sense of oh, well, if you criticise these things, you're somehow doing down your country. You're not. What you're doing is saying, if you want your country to do better, you've got to be more self-aware. Storytelling and identity. Let's be honest, I've barely scraped the surface, but it's clear how powerful that relationship is. Stories tie us to strangers in religions, nations, imagined communities. But so do they split us apart. Stories of us, stories of them. So let's take a moment to remember something we all have in common. It's that everyone loves a good story. Before we go, here's a quick announcement. Hey Media Stormers, exciting news. We're going to be at London Podcast Festival on the 18th of September at 7pm at King's Place. We will be live recording two special half-hour episodes. Guests will be revealed soon and the floor will be open to audience participation, so come equipped with your media grievances and then we can all drown them in the bar afterwards. There are limited tickets available, so snap them up now. Go to kingsplace.co.uk. That's Media Storm at the London Podcast Festival on Sunday, the 18th of September at 7pm. Given up my Netflix subscription, 
And I said, why is that? She said, I get all the entertainment I need watching the British Parliament. <laughs> so that sort of sense of, of our politics as theatre. At least she doesn't have to live with it. Well, is that? Well, and, but their politics is extraordinarily dull. So then how does all this commemoration compare to the way, for example, that the UK remembers its history and in particular its uglier history? Britain, almost as a flip side to Germany, is also stuck in the Second World War. It's almost like, you know, it's the, the old phrase that our finest hour has remained our finest hour. Patriotism is like the ointment you put on a sore. Only by dispassionately, calmly assessing what's good, what's bad, what we did well in history and what we did badly in history and all the shades in between. Britain, I think, struggles. But it's only then when you realise these are the things we can do. I mean, you look at the government's current language about Britain. It's global Britain. We will have Everything is world beating. That will be world beating. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has revealed a world beating and tracing this country will be the greatest beating. place on earth. There is, so, there is such an element of self-delusion. I mean, look, look, for example, at this so-called levelling up agenda. This has been an absolute running sore in Britain for many, many decades. I mean, Germany, when it reunified in 1990, it had to absorb 18 million people who had a completely different economic system, completely different political mindset, had no democracy, had no advanced economy. And those parts of Germany, the East, their living standards are closer to the West than the case in Britain, where the living standards in the North are still far, far worse. Superimposed on that is a sort of sense of, oh, well, if you criticise these things, you're somehow doing down your country. You're not. What you're doing is saying, if you want your country to do better, you've got to be more self-aware. Storytelling and identity. Let's be honest, I've barely scraped the surface, but it's clear how powerful that relationship is. Stories tie us to strangers in religions, nations, imagined communities. But so do they split us apart. Stories of us, stories of them. So let's take a moment to remember something we all have in common. It's that everyone loves a good story. Before we go, here's a quick announcement. Hey Media Stormers, exciting news. We're going to be at London Podcast Festival on the 18th of September at 7pm at King's Place. We will be live recording two special half-hour episodes. Guests will be revealed soon and the floor will be open to audience participation. So come equipped with your media grievances and then we can all drown them in the bar afterwards. There are limited tickets available, so snap them up now. Go to kingsplace.co.uk. That's Media Storm at the London Podcast Festival on Sunday the 18th of September at 7pm.